Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're joined by Paul Fivevilk, the CEO and co-founder of Sales Impact Academy. Paul, you're very welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. How you doing? Delighted to have you. Um, yeah, great to be here. We're, we're, we're going to take this podcast in three stages, early influences, challenges, and pivotal moments. I've, I've done mm. a deep dive on, on who you are and what you're about, so uh, I'm, I'm interested in this conversation. But as I said, early influences. You grew up, if I'm correct, if I went off your secondary school thing, you grew up in Cambridge in the UK. I did, yeah. Excellent. I've been to Cambridge three or four times. Um, nice. What was it like growing up in Cambridge? Any favorite stand-up memories of your early um, years? Well, I mean, Cambridge is a beautiful place. Um, so there's there's that. Um, but uh, my sort of secondary school years weren't that great because my mother sent me to a Catholic school, which was becoming ecumenical like two years in, but I did two years of it being a Catholic school. And this is back in 1987 where there was some troubles as you may, may, may remember and yeah I found myself in the middle of this kind of like sectarian bullying nightmare <laughs> surrounded by nuns with 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 beards <laughs> basically it's very, it's very strange um yeah so I, I you know one of the one of the Irish lads was like so what religion are you when I first arrived and I said, said to mum like oh what religion am I she's like oh you're probably Church of England darling and that was that's just the worst thing I could have ever <laughs> possibly have said yeah, and then spent yeah spent a few years understanding what it was like to be <laughs> like in a situation like that in terms of the, the sort of like the issues that were going on at the time. So yeah, not that great in that school. And then I went to uh, Hills Road uh, in Cambridge, and 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 then I sort of met my tribe, and and then it was it was all good after that. Nice. Well, before we move on to all good things business, one of the questions I like to ask is around impact and influence. What I mean by that is usually people can point to a number of people that they can count on their hand that have had a massive impact on the early years that helped them become the person they are today. Mm. Acquaintance, teacher, although you're probably not going to say any of the nuns with beards, <laughs> uh, parents, <laughs> friends. Does anyone spring to mind for you? Yeah, look, I had a couple of teachers at, <clears throat> at the school um, that, that were great. I don't know, it's a really funny one. I, don't, I can't really pinpoint any one specific, wow, if I hadn't met that person at that stage of my career or mm-hmm. life. Um, I, I can definitely point to one or two a lot later on, but yeah, I don't want to sound like a, <laughs> this is a therapy session, but you know, I was pretty on my own really, I think for, for a long time and I was working stuff out, you know, on, on my, on my own. I was pretty marginalized at that school. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I guess maybe in, in one way you could argue that that whole experience of being completely the outsider being in a very scrappy, scrappy environment, having to fight every day, um, almost to survive in, in, in many ways, possibly just gave me the sort of steel, maybe to, to become a to become an entrepreneur, which I've been doing for the last 20 years. Well, you've not done too bad for yourself. Did you spend a lot of time on computers when you were younger? No, I didn't really like, 
Uh, I didn't really like computer games, never really have. There was like the old Spectrum and the ZX81. I remember going around to a friend's house who actually had money, we had none. Uh, and he was like, well, look, we've got the Spectrum and it's got all these like, you know, <laughs> it's got these uh, uh, stick, sticking out um, keys on it, those rubbery keys. And I was like, wow, that's, am that's amazing. But <clears throat> no, not really. Um, I was a very hard worker. Um, you know, I was, I was kind of like, you know, decent academically. Um, so I just put my put my head into the into, into my studies and did, why, and did pretty did pretty well as a result. Why computer science? Well, I well I went to A level college, did pretty well there. I'm a bit of a smorgasbord of subjects. I did maths uh, and physics and media studies and performing arts. <laughs> um, I didn't know what the hell I was, wanted to do. Ended up applying to Keele University, which was the worst mistake of my, of my life. Um, absolutely dreadful place. <laughs> uh, I actually, I, I survived about three months and then, and then left. I, I bagged my second student loan, bought a guitar, and then got the hell out of Dodge. Um, but uh, so I did maths and philosophy there. Didn't really like it. I think I sort of discovered that I kind of like being a bit more creative and I, I just found doing a maths and philosophy degree it wasn't quite wasn't that creative and then I had a, some some you know um drifting years it was in a band tried to get tried to do acting stuff uh, ended up spending a, a season in in Sulcombe in Devon getting off my face <laughs> and then really my nice. mum came down to see me in Devon and said you've got to get a, a degree and I was like oh god really and she brought down all these prospectuses of like universities, literally, like she was like, you've got to do a degree. I was like, do I have to really? And she was like, she's like, darling, computers seem to be like really big. And I was like, yeah, I guess they do. Yeah, I should, I'll just do that. <laughs> so there you go, that's why. Well, fair enough. Well, let's get into business. Let's rewind the clock to 2002. You found a gorilla, uh, reference yeah. your mom, actually, a, a 10,000 pound loan from your mom. Yeah. Um, video production company. I'm reading from a screen here. You grew that company to over 5 million in annual revenues. Yeah. This company was behind one of the highest rated shows ever on Channel 5. Google, Boris Johnson, probably Rugby Tackle, and, and it will come up. Yeah. Um, with that being your first business, what lessons did you learn from that? Things you didn't expect to encounter before you started yeah. the business that you stand with you today? Well, I learned a lot from that, actually. Um, I should say as well, I didn't actually finish my, de my degree, much to the annoyance of my mum. Um, in the third year, just to, just to sort of link it all up, um, all my fellow geeks in the computer science degree, and I was doing pretty well, right? I was actually on track for first, um, which blew my mind because I actually did, I'd literally hardly ever even turned a computer on before actually doing this computer science degree. But it was a pretty shit university, not North London University. It's, it's um, yeah, not 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 elite, let's say. Um, and uh, and all my geeky friends, uh, all my geeky colleagues in my classes were like, yeah, we're going to do a year in industry, going to go to like, you know, Oracle and Microsoft. And I was like, oh, that sounds disgusting. And I remember going to the, to the lady who was doing, you know, the placements. And I was like, this might be a really weird question, but like, there's no chance you can actually start your own company, is there? And she was like, oh, actually... Yeah, you can. No one ever asks. But yeah, you can actually start your own company. So that's literally what I did. So in my third year, I started a company. Um, terrible. It's like a web design company. Took two people from my course, realized that they were absolutely rubbish at coding. And it was a disaster. Um, but that's actually at the beginning of my entrepreneurial, my, my entrepreneurial career. So I actually still need to go back and finish my, <laughs> finish my, last, finish my last year. And then I ended up actually just before Gorilla, um, 
co-founding a company called Street TV. It was terrible. I'd met the head of Premier Model Management, which was like Naomi Campbell and Claudia Schiffer's modeling agency. And it was literally right at the beginning of the internet, like what, two, two, 1999. And this guy was like, Paul, like, you, you know computers, um, make me a web map. And so I literally in like, you know, Word 97 drew this really ridiculous web map, like, ah, modeling, um, fashion, I literally just made random menus on a on a on a on a on a on a, on a dock, gave it to him, and he went he went a race quarter of a million quid. <laughs> I was no. like, what? Because everything was mental back then, and I ended up yeah. running that for a while and trying to build that. Um, and I always saw the internet as a as a broadcast medium, right? Always. Mm. So we, we built a capability in in house to do video, despite everyone being on <laughs> dial up at the time. Uh, and then basically that didn't work and we spun that out and that's what started Gorilla, um, the production company. And we, and we did a lot of online, we did a lot of innovation of, of online, you know, short form content right back in like 2002 for like, you know, fairly big brands um, and, and, mm. and publishers like, like, uh, like EMAP. So that's, that was the linking story. I just thought you just, you, you, you might sort of, you might like that. Yeah, no, definitely. Lessons, lessons from, from that. Lessons learned. Hey, wow. <laughs> Right, the biggest one for me is I will never, ever, 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 ever again, and I, uh, I haven't done for well over a decade, like get it, get, in, get it into a business model without some recurring revenue-like mm. model. Like production, low margin, no, no consistency of work, you know, agencies are the same, you know, very low margin, all about the people, very, very hard to scale. In fact, it's almost impossible to scale. Those business models are so brutal, and I I, I doff my cap to people who survive uh, working in those kinds of kinds of business models for years and years and years. Um, I will just never do it again. I mean, to be to be absolutely honest with you, like you know, I'm feel confident enough talking about this now, and I perhaps should have said this before. You know, we built that company to about you know we had about 40 people, about five million in revenue. We started we branched out into doing TV, and you know, and we did adverts. We did everything like corporate corporate videos, short form videos on the on the internet. Um, we grew too big. <laughs> Our overheads were too big. Uh, we didn't have a, we didn't have consistent regular re revenue. Like we all kept having to win work, win work, mm. win work, win work. And what you're doing in a business model like that is you're basically increase the the, the bigger you get. The, the more risk you're baking into your 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 life and your and your business and we didn't see that i never thought i'd go bust i was like what no way i'm not gonna go bust who goes bust what idiot goes bust and we went bust we literally the we i think we launched a new website thinking it was going to be absolutely transformational and the phone stopped ringing it was the weirdest weirdest thing and it was scary and we've got the invoice discounting so we we're just raising invoices as quickly as possible to like get cash into the business I was kind of running the finance, which is the worst thing I could have done. We brought in someone to run finance a bit way too late. And by the time he arrived, he's like, guys, you're pretty. Are we allowed to swear on this? Yeah, as much as you want. Guys, you're pretty fucked. <laughs> and then I got, had the experience of going through administration and, and, and having to literally say in front of a room of people like, hey, um, on a Friday afternoon, like, I'm really, really sorry. There's just no, there's no company to come back to on Monday morning. And it was like brutal fucking Jeez. brutal well there's a lot of lessons learned there um you became part of an organization called a born group yeah it's called fmg back then so we were kind of like scooped up by this kind of guy called simon berg 
at the then called Fresh Media Group. And, mm. you know, it was, it was, you know, bless him, you know, he sort of just, I was trying to sell it, sell this <laughs> shit business to him. <laughs> Look, it, the, the output, the product was great. We, we made great stuff, right? But we just, just it was just, like I say, yeah, just just the finances were complete balls up, um, and the management of it was a complete balls up. And I was just so early on in my career, um, and uh, so yeah, he scooped us up. So we just went and, and worked there, and most of the customers came along, um, and uh, and we just started again there, and we and uh, you know then built a you know an in-house digital and video production capability within this agency group. Um, and uh, that was the beginning of the next stage of the journey, which was the beginning. Yeah, which was where things started to get really, really quite, quite exciting. More evidence, again, that you're definitely entrepreneurial by nature. But at the end of that journey with that group, you finished up as the executive vice president of sales for North America. The question I have is you, you stated that you're responsible for hiring, training and management of w- one of the things you're responsible for is the enterprise sales team. Um, I know from reports by the likes of Harvard that the cost of a bad hire can be five times the annual salary if you make it with like missed opportunities accounted for and everything. Mm. So when it comes to hiring, you can take from that company or current companies. Um, do you have a process? Is it a good field? Do you do psychometric testing? Do you, oh like God, yeah. what is it for you? Well, I'll come come back to that question in a second. Just again, just to, just to sort of link the narrative. So mm. we we then the financial crisis hit. Um, and it was a big, big company, 250 people, a lot of production work for like magazines and all that kind of stuff. And we were like this sort of new digital agency piece of it. So we went through another like almost near death experience. And, uh, you know, we, we, we built a big team out in India. We we're shipping out work out to India, which is much more high margin. And we managed to just somehow navigate through the crisis. Um, and eventually we ended up building up what. 200 person team in India and then we got approached by an Indian private equity company who wanted to buy the group we just fit their pro I won't go into why that it, it mm. worked but you know it's just too too long and boring story but it, it just fit their profile so we went through an acquisition we sold the group to, to, to an Indian private equity firm for about 15 million quid but part of that with uh, Simon created this thing called Seros which is like a page turning digital magazine thing and brands were using it and we you know we, we did some massive deals with like a million pound a year deal with million dollars i think with sears and we created this mad interactive like baby catalog and all this kind of mad stuff it was great and i said to but at the, literally at the time and i'd obviously been in yet another agency model literally fighting for work the whole time literally just having to feed the machine and i'm just like i'm done with this business model right and i was watching salesforce like, like just grow and emerge. And I bought behind the cloud. This is like 2009, 2010. And I'm like, we've got to turn Seros into a, into a SaaS business. The multiples on mm-hmm. SaaS business are like, back then it was like mad. It was like six and seven and eight. And now we see like the really fast growth. You can get like 50 and 60 times your revenue. I'm like, I want to work in a business where the multiple is more like eight to 10 rather than one. Because we just sold this agency at one times revenue to this private equity group. I'm like, I'm going to bust my ass, right? It's like working. That's, 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 that's the truism. Now, do I want to bust my ass in a 1x, um, 1x valuation business or a 10x valuation business? I'm like, well, I'm going to do the 10x, obviously. Mm-hmm. That was literally the thought process. And when we did this, when this acquisition happened, I managed to convince them to spin, let us spin Seros out, turn it into a SaaS company because it was really not really a SaaS company. We were using it to create production revenue by building these kind of like interactive magazines. And we created and, and we spun Seros off and I became the CEO of Seros. 
very long story short, we then raised some capital from Greycroft and we all moved to New York and we, we rebuilt ourselves from the ground up to be, you know, what it is today, which is now a 600, 600 million dollar value business doing over 40 million wow. in, in, in annual recurring revenue. Um, and last, last year, a private equity firm bought half of it for a very sort of substantial sum. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I sort of, I was there suddenly found myself in New York now, head of sales CRO effectively of a, of a, of a venture backed tech company, which is exactly where I wanted to be, but boy, was it scary because <laughs> I didn't really didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Um, on hiring, look, I mean, I could, I could do a whole hour on basically how, you know, how, how, how you hire. Um, one of the, like, I'll just be really, really, really sort of brief. Mm. One of the things that you've absolutely, in my view, got to, got to, got to do for any role you hire, be it in sales or marketing or any part of the business, you have to, within the hiring process, do, do a couple of key things. Set up a test. Like, what is that person going to go and do? If they're going to go and be, if, you, if, they, if they in-house counsel, set them a test to, 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 to analyze a contract or something. Um, you know, if they're going to be in sales, like absolutely like run them through doing like dis a discovery call, set up, set up, set up the scenario and test some of their core skills and, and competencies, literally kind of any, any role. It's critical to test their true skill and competency in the hiring process. Otherwise, you are absolutely flying blind. And the second one that I think is crucial is you absolutely make sure that you have some kind of a culture interview in, 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 a, in a three to five step process, let's say. Absolutely crucial to have a, a culture check with people, not necessarily in your team. So if you're hiring into the marketing team, make sure that someone else from a different team is, is there doing, doing a culture check. And then, and then very, if you wanna get really, really sophisticated about this, Every single interview and every single stage should be completely mapped out, all the questions pre-thought through and score. And if you want to get really sophisticated, you can get into some serious like data driven hiring. And that's where you really start to win. And that's, I think, the only way you can scale a company to hundreds and hundreds of people, which I've done before, um, by building some real robustness and science into the hiring process. There's some great leaders out there like Tom Cassie from Outreach who just have their shit together when it comes to knowing how to hire properly. Um, you know Tom, do you? <laughs> He's a good mate. This, this, this might sound wild, but are you the guy who, who does videos with Tom and you have a guitar in your hand at times? I did, yeah. That was me. Oh, yeah, no, you've popped over my LinkedIn a few times then. Interesting, because <laughs> I recognize your face and I was the last 10 minutes going, where do I recognize his face from? I know Tom through my dad. My dad and Tom are, are, are good friends. Um, oh, really? To be... I've been in America once with Tom, and he's come to Ireland a couple of times. So I've yeah. met Tom a few times. Well, that 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 puts on the map doing that 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 mad stuff. There we go. Um, 2014, you became the CRO at Uni Days. There's a question here at the end of this. You led that revenue growth from two million to forty million in three point five years. Um, then in 2018, you were UK of Open Pay. But I'd like to fast forward to your role as a mentor, mentor of tech stars, and also uh, in part of the internal business program of London and Paris. What are some of the common blind spots that you see startup founders or CEOs overlook that impact bottom line revenue? For example, improperly onboarding people, not capturing best practices, not building the bench, not paying attention to lead generation. What are some of the things that you think people, if they didn't overlook, their growth would be, you know, 2x or 4x what it is today? Okay, so the common, what some of the common mistakes I saw was like not structuring the team in the right way. 
I spent I spent a year and a half before starting Sales Impact Academy just doing voluntary teaching, right, uh, and mentoring. And I must have been in front of 500 companies and barely 10% even knew what an SDR was, right? So there was just some absolutely foundational knowledge just mi totally missing in how you build a, you know, scalable and repeatable, you know, re revenue, revenue function. And, and the other classic mistakes are basically hiring the wrong people, hiring the wrong, like the wrong roles, hiring people in the wrong order, hiring like a VP of sales when you haven't even got a single customer, like burning through cash, hiring super badly, hiring and then having to let people go and losing, like literally burning through not just cash, but time. I mean, the classic, classic one. This is the absolute classic. I'm talking now very much about tech, tech, you know, technology companies. Is they're often they're often started by you know maybe uh, maybe a developer uh, or a product person, and um, you know who who might be sort of um, you know fairly um, you know in, let's say introvert, and they've built they've found a problem they've they've built a good MVP, but the thought of actually getting in front of customers makes them literally just want to want to cry. And so the classic mistake is let's bring some people in that can actually do that. And that is the literally like that, that this probably happens like a thousand, a thousand times every quarter. I don't, I don't know what you want to talk about. Like, I'm just like throwing out silly numbers, but it happens all the time. The problem is, is like the best salesperson, no matter how uncomfortable you feel about it, is you the CEO and the founder. Like even if you've, you know, even if you do feel deeply uncomfortable doing sales, like when you get going, like you will just, You'll, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll go into autopilot because you're literally risking so much and you care so much about solving this problem that people will just get that, will just get that energy and that vibe off you and they'll trust you and they'll trust to, to be a, you know, a pilot customer or an early, an early customer. And someone said to me a while ago, I absolutely loved it. You know, early stage, like early stage customers buy, you know, buy into exactly the same thing that early stage VCs buy into. They buy into, they can see it. They can see, because what else have you got to go on as an early stage VC? You haven't got much, right? You might have an MVP and a handful of customers, if that. And, and in today's world, you might not even have that, right? Because people are trying to get into get into companies as, as early and early as possible. So what? So what's what's the proxy there for? Like, is this going to work? It's like it's 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 the person sitting in front of you. Are they, you know, is this is this problem fighting to get out of them? Like, are they like literally like a mad person obsessed? And 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 that and that's what and that's that's what those early customers need to see. Now that one that's they won't see that if you just hire a random salesperson that's you got, you got recommended by a mate or a VP of sales that's come in that's just like what is this thing you're trying to do? It's, they're just not going to have that that fire and that true like true core passion for solving the problem that you're solving and that's sad because you know they'll burn through seed cash uh they'll wonder why it's not working they'll be stressed as hell they'll be maybe young they've now got to have a conversation with a with a maybe a more experienced sales leader to say what well, what's what's going on it's and possibly let them go and that's stressful too so like just stupid stuff like that and just and just you know, and there's, look, I could talk again for hours and hours and hours about some of the, 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 the big mistakes, but that's that's one big one. Like, don't, you've got to do the hard yards as, hard yards as a CEO, and you've got to, roughly speaking, get eight to 10 paying customers from cold, not referrals, um, before you can before you can start to build, I think, a set of, an actual sales team. A, 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 br a brilliant answer. Um, you're now the why, CEO. Why, why thank you. <laughs> You're, you're now the CEO of Sales Impact Academy. Mm. Um, 
you're probably better off given the 30 second commercial than I am. <laughs> well, I work here every day, so I should be. Um, so yeah, off the, off the back of seeing these massive knowledge caps, I'm like, wow, this is really sad. Um, and I was sort of reflecting on my own sort of 10 year journey in revenue leadership. And I, I didn't really enjoy it because I fundamentally was learning on the job myself. Like no one gave me the playbook. No one told me what I needed to know. And, and, and there's, not, there's, no one, there's no resource out there that, you know, mm. there's not like a CRO book. It just isn't. There's no resource out there. And actually I was thinking, Jesus, like the reason we're in this situation is because the global education system literally just overlooks sales. They're like, just, you know, just no, it's not a profession. We do like, we, we do more technically complex things like law and finance and medicine, and blah. But ugh, sales, that's just not, you know, ugh, it's not really a profession. Yet it is. It's actually a major, major, major global profession. And actually half the world's companies are B2B. So it's a proxy for half the world's GDP rests on the success of, of sales teams who don't know what they're doing, right? And they're making things up every day. So this is a major, major, major crisis, right? In, 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 in terms of skills crisis made worse right by the fact that we have never seen so much capital flying into the market than we have like literally records are being broken quarter after quarter after quarter it's unicorn season isn't it at the moment yeah <laughs> and what happens with every single one of those fundra fund fundraisers rian like literally oh i need more sdrs i need more a's i need more mm -hmm. cs reps i need more 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 of a talent pool that is just not even fit for purpose even in the normal normal time so we've got a major, 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 major problem. So I sort of saw the, I saw that when I was doing this, like I started seeing the early signs of that when I was doing this kind of voluntary teaching in, in, in London. So I'm like, right, well, look, we need to try and think about how, how, to, how, are we gonna, how are we gonna try and upskill potentially like millions and millions and millions of people like at massive, massive scale, mass education, if you like. Um, and so we started putting together like, you know, I say that we, we started very organically. We actually started doing an online course for a couple of companies and it worked pretty well. And then I started realizing the scope of the problem and, and it's like, right, we'll need, we need to think about how we're gonna do this at massive scale. And so that was, that, that was the sort of genesis really of Sales Impact Academy. Like we're creating, you know, a, we, we, we do what we have a live uh, learning, basically we're, we're building a live learning platform for go-to-market teams. Uh, and we're building curriculum for every major persona of a go-to-market team to help them to develop and understand and, uh, the, the skills they need to, to be brilliant at their, at their job. That's basically what we're doing. I've had a quick look at it. It's amazing. I'll leave links below to it. And I say it's amazing because the, I've not participated in it, but the names that you've got delivering some of the live lectures like Mark Roberge, former CRO of HubSpot, um, uh, Alyssa... Think, think if i got yeah. her name correct again yeah. former CRO Tableau, Tableau. phenomenal names there that are delivering those lectures uh, I anytime Mark's name appears he has what I call the Tony Robbins effect you don't even need to read the description you just see the name and you're like I'm gonna go and attend that because I'll get one well, or two golden nuggets from it well his 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 venture firm stage two capital is also our, our, um, our big investor so Mark's on my board well, there you go. So links below are to this, uh, to learn more about the Sales Impact Academy wherever you're listening or watching this. A um, couple of personal questions. One is, um, what's your definition of success? <laughs> Thanks for sending this question beforehand. <laughs> what's my definition? There's a reason why I don't send questions like this beforehand. <laughs> what's my definition of success i mean I, I i i guess i guess setting a goal and then reaching it 
I, I, I guess. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I'm obviously I can't overthink this because you're asking me bloody live. Yeah, I, I guess if you set yourself a goal and, and you, you achieve it, that's probably the de definition of success. Um, I don't think success should be determined by how well you've done relative to someone else. I think that's deeply, deeply unhealthy um, mm. place to be. But I think on a, on a just a very simple, simplistic level, yeah, if you if you set a goal and you achieve the goal, that's you've succeeded. What's your favorite aspect as a founder and CEO? Unquestionably, the my favorite aspect of being the CEO and uh, you know co-founder co with, with with Alex, but I do have uh, you know the, the biggest influence on the company, like just the CEO just always does. I love the fact that I absolutely can completely and utterly set the tone and control uh, and protect the culture. You, no one else in the business can do it like mm. I can. I'm overseeing the entire organization and I love the fact that I, I, I can set, set that tone. I, I almost see myself as like the chief culture officer uh, as much as anything else. Um, and I, I've got a, a silly sort of metric for this. It's like, if you think about, you know, frontline person, that their influence on the organization is probably like 1x. Your manager's 10x. Your VP's like 50x. Your C-suite's like 100x. Co-founder's like 300x. The CEO's way out there, 1,000x. Mm. 1,000x is like everybody takes culture cues. And I'm not saying that from like, a, oh, I'm so important. I just, I've, I've observed it, right? The, 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 the actions and, and the behaviors, um, and the language coming out of the CEO, 100%, more than anything else, more than throwing up six or seven value statements, more than anything else, that's where, that's where everyone takes their cues. Mm. Uh, and, I love, and I love that because one of the things I'm most proud of at Sales Impact Academy is that we have a, just an epic culture because we treat people really kindly, really fairly. We're massively transparent. I do a weekly email to the entire company and our investors and like literally everybody in the company knows pretty much as much as I do uh, in terms of what's going on. And I That's love awesome. that. I love it. And that is, you know, and, and, and people, I, I regularly get messages like um, from people, and even just, just this week. Um, I won't tell you who the, the name of this, this, this kind of person is, but she said, I was walking to the tube last night and just had a thought. I'm actually really happy. You're a part of that. So I just wanted to say thank you. Well, I, just, I, I get a lot of that. It's pretty cool. Time. Yeah. When it comes to acquiring net new logos, um, I can imagine one of the most popular ways would be, and I don't know if this is for you because Sales Impact Academy is not half a decade or a decade old, but clients that, let's say, for example, you've got Tom at Outreach, he leaves and moves to Gong. Him bringing you the Sales Impact Academy to Gong, I imagine that will play a big part in the future of net new logos for Sales Impact Academy as one AE gets promoted and he's mm -hmm. a CEO of a new company and he brings in Sales Impact Academy. Yeah. But current to, to current data, I don't know, you're 18 months or two years in business. How do you acquire net new logos? What are kind of the top two to three avenues? Mm. Um, outbound, well, in terms of top of funnel, outbound, pure outbound from SDRs. Uh, marketing driven through a lot of events and doing silly, silly things on LinkedIn with guitars um, um, and partnerships is huge for us. Um, you know, we, we do some, we've got some great partnership programs. We're just about to kick one off literally this week with AWS. Well, wow. um, we've got partner programs with outreach and, um, and, and, and um, about 50, literally 50 companies. One brilliant one we do is called the gift of learning where 
you know, a company literally promotes a free course to all of their customers and they just literally send them to a landing page. They all sign up and, 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 and they've got access to the, the one, you know, one, one course. Like I said, it's called the gift of learning. We did that with outreach and Sam Nelson had 1200 people in his, in his class. <laughs> it was wild. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, those are the, those are the three top of funnel drivers. Interesting. Yeah. Two more questions for you. If you had uh, the final decision on adding one mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum that's not currently on it, so not like English or maths or history or geography, what would it be and why? I was about to say Irish and I forgot that you're from England. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get me started on this topic, basically, is what, I, is what I'd suggest. I think that now I'm, look, I'm, look, I'm, a, I'm 45 been around the block, seen the world a bit now. I just think the, the curriculum of school versus real life is just, there's just a shocking gulf, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, fundamentally, there's two, there's two things, two things, if I'm allowed to. Yeah, sure. I, I'd like to have a lot more than this. But we've got an obesity problem, right? There's lots of problems at the moment in the world and obesity seems to have fallen off the, like, the, <laughs> the, um, the, the, the sort of, in terms of like publicity, but there's loads of over, like, you know, horribly morbidly over, overweight people but just just over, overweight people why 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 is 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 you know like maths is super important and i wouldn't say it shouldn't be mandatory but why are there some certain mandatory topics and then if we've got that kind of a problem why don't we make it absolutely fucking mandatory that you learn how to cook with good food oh, healthy food it's not just like I'll go and do home economics, or whatever it's called now. And, and you know, I'm, that's really age me. Like home economics, how old is he? But whatever it is that you do, like don't don't put make it as a, like a secondary subject over here that you can opt in to do. No, you make it as important as maths. Right? Then you learn how to cook. I don't know how to cook. I don't know the first thing about it. But if I if if I got taught properly at school and understood how to make a highly nutritious, super healthy food and make it tasty, bang, could that solve obesity? Maybe, maybe not, but it definitely was definitely going to help. That's one. Better choices anyway. Yeah. Second one. I didn't even, like, why didn't anyone tell me what a mortgage was at school? Why didn't anyone <laughs> tell me like how to, how to operate the stock market? Like why, why it's like this, it's like financial, it's like, like understanding finance and the world of finance. It, it just seems to be this kind of a, like a elite group and that's it. Um, I think that's really shocking. Like yeah. really, really shocking that you're not taught really smart good modern financial management and options that you have if you want to get involved in, in in buying and selling selling shares and understanding how it all works and all of the you know just financial literacy generally it's 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 kind of shocking and then the third one is that there's loads i'd say is like why doesn't why don't we talk like how the court system works like and, and the sort of the overall justice system works we're all going to touch it probably at some point, right? I've touched it by getting divorced. Yeah. I thankfully never touched it because I'm in trouble. But I don't know. Like, does, do you know how it, like, could you tell me, like, right I'm now, convinced. how your justice system is structured? No. The different kinds of courts? That's a wouldn't bit. Know. Wouldn't know. That's not good. That, that's really not good. We should. One of the mandatory subjects in school, in secondary school here in Ireland is Irish. And I can tell you that. If I went to the 40 closest people to me, you learn Irish for 18 years. Can they speak a word of Irish? Not one person can. <laughs> Not one person can speak a word of Irish. No. No. Even though it's mandatory. Even though it's mandatory from about five years old till you're 18. I don't know. I anyone. mean, that's, my, my, that's my girlfriend a... speaks it fluently. Other than that, 
I mean, that's got to be like a sort of like a cult, like cultural protection initiative, right? Because because yeah. who else speaks Irish apart from the Irish? No one. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Well, actually, I've I've got one more question for you, and it's if you could fast forward, if we imagine we're sitting and down, and it's the year twenty thirty, and you're looking back over the last decade, mm-hmm. you can answer this personally or professionally or a combination of both. What would you like to be look, looking back on if you imagine now is twenty thirty and you're looking back? Uh, I meet someone, have a family. Jesus. <laughs> I on should have personal, ended with the last question. I might on the personal side. Yeah, I'm just I'm hopeless with with relationships. I got I got a son. He's he's awesome. Um, he's he's uh, he has autism. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's an absolute little legend. What's his name? He's, is Louis. He's called Louis. Nice. Um, very little language, but really cool. Very kind heart, lovely spirit. Low, like, thankfully, not not, not much in the way of behaviour. Yeah. So I'd like look. I'd like to meet someone and have a family. Awesome. And I'd like to look back and say, you know what? We helped millions and millions and millions of people who are stressed every day in their jobs, stressed every day in their careers, worried about getting fired, which is basically the the, the mental state of everybody in go to market. Mm-hmm. Um, we took that pain away. We took that fear away. And we allow people to find joy in their work, progress really well in their careers, and and gain confidence and agency. Um, um, that that that's it. That's what we're trying. That's what we're trying to do. And if if I can look back and say we help millions of people to to get to that place, I can honestly just die a happy man. I love it. We'll we'll, we'll leave it on that note, Paul. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you over the last forty minutes. Um, and wish you continued success with Sales Impact Academy. I'll leave a link to it below. As I mentioned, Mark Robridge and uh, Elena Fink, former CMO of Tableau and CRO at HubSpot. They're one of the several lectures that, that are on 50, those courses. 50. We have 50 of them. 50. Wow. I know Tyler from, um, yeah. Oh, what's the thing called? Vidyard is on it as well. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, we've, we've got loads. Um, Sarah Brazier from Gong, Sir Clive Woodward, Sam Nelson from Outreach, Dan Steinman from Gainsight. Uh, Dan Disney, uh, Million Pound LinkedIn message. Um, Carl Coleman, um, who was at uh, who was at Looker. Um, yeah, and we got oh, we got a massive name. We're going to be announcing in, in a couple of weeks. Massive. Awesome. Well, there's another reason for people to click the link. I'm sure you've got a newsletter or something that people can subscribe to, so they can keep in touch with the the massive announcement. You should rope Tom into doing a course as well. He has probably the best guess for one-liners I've ever heard. <laughs> he's a good lad Tom he's a yeah. good lad alright Paul we'll leave it there for today thanks for being my guest cheers Ram if you're metro don't trust you I'm gonna show you beautiful morning you're the sun of my morning bed